Here is your Radio Theater Channel weekly podcast for download. The RTC still has the very best old-time radio on the live streaming. And if it's music you love, tune in to the RTC Music Channel, where this link and many others are on our website at oldtimeradiolisten.com. Now, here's Jim. Hey, thanks for joining us for the RTC Weekly Download, another hour of great old-time radio. First, we'll visit with Orson Welles on a trip to the Black Museum. That will be followed in 30 minutes or so by the Inner Sanctum, as Raymond tells us about the strands of death. But now, service card on the Black Museum. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. The Black Museum. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of homicide. Where everyday objects, a light bulb, a broken mirror, a stained blotting pad, all are touched by murder. Here's an auto service card issued by a garage to show that a certain motor car was oiled and greased and the speedometer reading was 15,001. According to the card, his car had done 5,001 miles in the first by the following day, he'd added another 160 miles to the speedometer reading. And he told you, Inspector, he hadn't been on any long journeys. He'd forgotten the speedometer reading on the service card. They all overlooked something. And the harmless-looking service card which George Dalton overlooked was instrumental in convicting him of the brutal murder of his own mother and father. That's why it's earned its place here in the Black Museum. From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. As beyond these stone walls, the life of London flows as ceaselessly as the muddy waters of Thames. Here, it's silent. Let us walk under the frieze of death masks, the masks of criminals of bygone days, suspended grimly under the ceiling. That glass funnel means nothing until we stop and read the card beside it. Once this funnel was used to pour acid over the body of a woman. Insignificant in itself, easily broken, but was strong enough to hang a murderer. Now here's a pair of spectacles. Over there's a powder puff. And here's, here's what we're after, the buff-colored service card. As I open the showcase and take it between my fingers, I ask you to come with me back to 1947... We're calling at the quiet suburban house of Mr. and Mrs. Dalton. Live in South London. It's a respectable district populated by respectable middle-class people. But the Daltons are in trouble. The cause is their only son, George Frederick. They're discovering that George is not as other young men of his age. To his parents, he is, at the age of 23, a problem child. He's not a bad boy, Fred, you know that. But he just doesn't seem to settle down. Uh, I know his trouble. Oh, don't be too harsh on him. He won't work. That's what's wrong with the young devil. Oh, Fred. Well, how many jobs has he had since he came out of the army? I don't know. So many, you lose count. And even the army couldn't do anything with him. Absent without leave half a dozen times. He spent more time in detention than he did on the drill square. Shh. Here he is. Oh, dear, he's upset again. Uh, now I expect you'll turn the radio on. Oh, George, for heaven's sake, don't turn that radio on. I've got a headache. Oh, go to hell. What did you say to me? I told you to... Here, you get away from that set. George! Joe, you put your hands on me. Go to your room. But I'm Please sure... Please me. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sure he didn't Go mean to your it. room. I didn't mean it, Dad. I'll sweep up this mess and we'll have some tea, shall we? All right, young man. For your mother's sake, I'll forget it. 
but I'm getting straight on the telephone to my old friend Jim Spencer. He's got a jeweler shop in Clapham and he meets a lot of people. Maybe he can advise me about fixing you up with a job. Jim Spencer, the jeweler, was white-haired in his 60s. He lived over his shop, which was quietly prosperous, and he had just lost a young assistant who, having learned something of the trade, had transferred to a larger firm. So, George Dalton was taken on in his place, and for the first time, George seemed to be interested in his work. But perhaps that was not altogether surprising. Pass me my eyeglass, will you, my boy? Here are. Thank you. That's a very nice pendant you're working on, Mr. Spencer. Yes, it is, isn't it? Ah. Uh, how much is it worth? Mm, why, give a hundred guineas for it and sell it at a hundred and twenty. Would the owner sell? Not this one. But I always keep a few hundred pounds in the safe there just in case I get a chance to buy something like this. Mm, now, where did I put those tweezers? To Mrs. Dalton's delight, her son was still working in the shop at the end of six months. But young George was rather less interested in the work than in the end product. And above all, he was interested in that safe. He even had a duplicate of the key made. He had a duplicate of the door key, too. Perhaps he didn't quite know what he was going to do with his keys, but in a steamy cafe behind the bright lights of Piccadilly, he found a friend who had ideas. If you ask me, chum, I'd say you were sitting on a blinking gold mine. Hey, what do you mean? Yeah, come off me, George. We did 90 days' detention together in the army, didn't we? Yeah? I know you're not quite daft. I mean, all you've got to do is to get the key of the door, the key of the safe, and... Well, I've got those. Well, we... you have. There they are. Well, for crying out loud, what are you stalling about? Well, I've never pulled off a real job, Charlie. It's, uh, it's a bit of a step to take, isn't it? It's up to you, cook. I know what I'd do. I'd slip in about two o'clock in the morning. Here, here, Charlie, would you come with me? All right. Do you want to make it a business proposition? I, uh... Yes, I do. Look, if we broke into... Shh, just quiet. Pay the bill, let's get out of here. Okay, okay. Here, where are we going? I'm taking her down to the Elephant and Castle, meet Slash. We work as a team, he's the boss. It's the only safe way, Slash has got brains. He'll put you right... Come on, I'll introduce you. So, George Dalton started his professional career. Yeah, you know this got well to you, Charlie? <laughs> I'll say. We did 90 days together, didn't we, George? <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. And you want to join us, do you, George? I want uh, Charlie to come in on this job with me. Uh, that's the idea. Yeah, the idea's okay. And we need a jewellery expert in the gang. Forget this, pal. I'm the boss. And what I say goes... Do this job, you and Charlie, and take 50% of the profits. The rest goes into the organization. Understand? Do you agree to the terms? Uh, yes. Yes, I agree. Ah, then that's fixed. Shake on it. It's clinch, is it? And remember, there's no funny business in this outfit. I suppose you know why the boys call me Slash. I think so. I carry a razor. Remember that, George. Not that I'd use it on you, but I thought I'd mention it in passing. <laughs> George is okay, I've told you. Of course he's okay, and I'll fix up a car for you tomorrow night. A car? Yes, it's all part of the service. You're busting into the Spencer shop tomorrow night. <laughs> so you've got all day tomorrow to fix the burglar alarms. And those burglar alarms took quite a bit of fixing. But by closing time, George Dalton had traced and snipped the wires. Putting on his coat, he wished his employer a dutiful good night, and at 11 o'clock, Mr. Spencer turned out his light in the bedroom upstairs and climbed into bed. Three hours later, a stolen car turned quietly into the deserted street and stopped. The coast clear, George. You got the keys? You bet. Okay, then in we go. All right. Where's the safe? Over here. Oh, okay, get to work. The old man's upstairs, isn't he? Yes, it can help the old fool if he wakes up and comes down. You got that safe open yet? No, no, the lock's a bit stiff. Here, Charles. Yeah? Shine the torch this way. Come on, what's it? Jumping, Jakes, what the place is you doing? I'm sorry, I knocked a tray over. The clock made me jump. Here, let's get out quick. Open that safe, you stupid swab. It's jammed, Charlie. Here, come on, let me have a go. 
You're sure this is the right key? Of course I'm sure. Hey, look, Spencer will be awake now. We must get out. You idiotic clot, this isn't the right key. Yes, it is. And uh, the lock's open. Pull the door. Look out, look out. The old man's coming. Here he is. Who's there? Get him. The thief! Get back! Grab what you can and run for it. Okay. I've got two trays of rings and some notes. Come on, let's get out. The jeweler was found, lying in a pool of blood, ten minutes later. The neighbor who found him called the police immediately, but needless to say, there were no signs of the thieves, and they had left no clues. And Mrs. Dalton stated that her son had been at home in bed on the night of the robbery. To the best of her knowledge, she was telling the truth. But two days later, her son visited his unfortunate employer and handed in his notice. I just couldn't go on drawing me wages while the shop's closed and you're here in hospital. You're a good boy, George. I only wish you knew enough about the business to carry it on for me. But I thought it wiser to put the stock away in the bank in case those rascals came back. I only wish I could get my hands on them, that dirty swine. Well, luckily they didn't get away with anything worthwhile. Well, what do you mean? I, I thought that you... Uh, what did you think, George? I thought they cleaned you out. <laughs> no, I'm too old a bird to leave valuables in the shop safe at night. I take them all upstairs to a real safe. I only leave the paste stuff down below. Didn't I ever tell you? No, you you never told me. How much the old gentleman suspected, we don't know. If he did have any suspicions, he never had them. But Slasher was not so easy. Dalton, the expert in jewellery. Come here, George. I want to speak to you. Uh, what's the trouble, Slash? I'll tell you what's the trouble. You, you dirty double-crossing pedisher. Think you can unload junk on me, do you? You knew these rings were duff. I didn't know. After working in the shop for six months, you didn't know where the real stuff was? Don't give me that. Two trays of duff and a fiver in notes. You can't get away with it. Where's the rest? There isn't any more. Okay. I warned you. Here it comes. The slash of the razor across Dalton's left cheek unlocked the gates of an unquenchable hatred. With a flash of six inches of sharp steel, he became a killer, and he knew that the slasher must die. He would evolve the perfect murder with no clues, such as the service card which can be seen today among the exhibits in the Black Museum. We return to Dalton the Killer with blood still streaming from his cheek. He smiles at the slasher. And for the first time in his life, that individual is surprised, taken off his guard. I suppose I asked for that. Get out of here. You're not pretty. I've got your brand on me now. I've got to be one of you. What do you mean? You're a man of action. I like that, even if it hurts. Give me another chance. I'll do better next time. I never knew they made him so yellow. Get out. You stink. I've got a date here with a smasher and you might scare her away. Now, scram. Ah, here she comes. Henry, is that you? Right here, Toots. I never knew your name was Henry. Yet. Oh, hello, what's happened? Oh, he's had an accident. Just going. Hello there. Are you hurt bad? No, it's just nothing much. He's no friend of mine, Brenda. Come on, let's go. Oh, okay. Good night, Henry. Good night, Brenda. I'm going to say some more of you. That's right, Dalton. You've made your choice. You're going to start with a girl. That will hurt him. Follow them. They go into a cafe. Have a meal. You wait in the shadows. They're coming out at last. Follow them again. Into a mean little street. Oh, yes, this must be where she lives. <laughs> You're going to let me in, aren't you, Toots? No, I'm tight. What's the matter with you tonight? 
I don't know what you did to that fellow. Oh, for Pete's sake, you're not still beefing about him. I know what you did, and I'm no crew, but I don't like razors, and you know it. Good night. No, no, look here, wait a minute. Okay, <laughs> if that's the way you want it. See you tomorrow. He's gone. Suppose we knock on the door. Cheeks still bleeding. <sighs> Look, I told you to... <gasps> it's me. What do you want? Have you got something I can put on this cut? You followed us? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I, I need help. Oh, if he comes back, he'll kill you. Here, come in quick. I don't know why I'm doing this. I must be crazy. Here, come into the kitchen. I'll, I'll bathe that cut. Well, uh, I'd, I'd better go. I'm, I'm a nuisance. Oh, you can't go now. Come over to the sink. Well, if the cops saw you in this mess, they'd take you for questioning. Here, hold your face over the water. Okay. What's your name? George. George Dalton. Henry says you double-crossed him. I didn't. It would be so easy to squeeze that pretty throat of yours, Brenda. But you're too lovely. Much you there. too lovely. Now, now, keep still while I put some plaster on. It's lucky the cut isn't deep. Huh? How'd you feel? Oh, oh, oh fine, thanks. Oh. I, uh, I suppose I'd better go now. I don't understand you, George. You know, you're different from the others. What others? I suppose you know what sort of girl I am. I don't care what sort of girl you are, but... I... I, I sure like you. Well, you're... You're decent. Perhaps you should go. I'll do just whatever you say. Oh, your shirt and coat are all covered in blood. I can't turn you out like that. You'd better spend the night now. I'll get you some clean clothes in the morning. Brenda, I never felt like this about... about anyone before. I... I don't know what to say. Honey, I don't either. Well, I... I'll put the kettle on and we'll have a nice cup of tea. Tea. <laughs> as much a part of London's life as Buckingham Palace and the Houses of Parliament, Brenda made tea. The next morning she went out and bought her new lover the clothes he needed. He put on the clothes she brought him and went home. He knew quite well what he was going to do, and that night he borrowed his father's car, and at nine o'clock he drove to the bomb site, where he knew the slasher would be waiting for Brenda. And in his pocket he had a short length of lead piping. As he approached his objective, he saw a movement in the shadows. It was the slasher. Well, if it isn't the jewel expert. Yeah, you come at the money? Hello, Slash. How you doing? Well, what's the idea? Not looking for trouble, are you? What do you think? Get back, you don't! Ah. Now, that squares out a cut. Now, I'll put you under the rug in the back of the car and I'll take you for a little ride. The little ride was to a deserted bridge over a railway. Dalton lifted his victim onto the parapet. Then he paused. Uh, just before you go, I... I wonder how much you've got in your pocket. Anybody coming? Ah, ah, good. Ah. Oh, yes. Quite a few notes here. Thank you, Slash. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And quite gently, Dalton eased the unconscious man over the edge. After that, it was easy. Brenda, like the old jeweler, may have had her suspicions, but she kept them to herself. Dalton had money, taken nearly a hundred pounds from the slasher's pocket before pushing him into the path of the oncoming train. That hundred pounds lasted just two weeks. Two glorious weeks. The happy couple celebrated those weeks in the famous seaside resort of Brighton. Then, on the morning of January the 1st, 1948, with funds running low... George Dalton took his father's car into the car duct service station to be oiled and greased. 
Now, why did he do that? Superintendent Brandruth of Scotland Yard has the answer. There is no doubt that Dalton had already decided to drive to his parents' home and ask for money. He had insufficient funds with which to pay his hotel bill, and it was essential for him to receive help from his father. His father was always particular about the regular servicing of his car, and the son doubtless had this carried out in order to produce it as a sop for his father's wrath. And the speedometer reading was 15,001, duly recorded on the service card. So George Dalton drove the 50-odd miles to his home on what was to be his fatal journey. He was hampered by fog on the way, and when he eventually turned into his own street, the fog was very thick. Stopped the car outside his parents' house, went inside, and got down to business. I'm sorry, Father, but I've got to have the money quick. Well, who the blazes do you think you're talking to? You take my car for a weekend, you keep it for a fortnight? Well, I've had it, sir. I don't care if you've had it rebuilt. You'll never drive it again. Very nearly got onto the police and reported it stolen by you. And now you have the infernal impudence to demand 50 pounds, just like that. If I don't have it, I'll go to prison. The hotel won't... Then you'll have to go to prison. You'd have gone there a long time ago. It might have brought you to your senses. You're my own son, but I'm disgusted with you. Go on, get out. You can't send me away, can't I? There's the door now. Now, go on, get out. Oh, no, you don't. Take your hands off me, you young rascal. Your mother, mother. Give me that money, will you? You're you're, you're choking me. Ah! George, what have you done? He's dead. Ah! Stop you! Dalton, apparently unimpressed by the enormity of his crime, left the murdered couple lying where they had fallen while he searched the house for money. He found just over 30 pounds of his parents' savings. He drove the car into the garage, put his victims in the back and covered them once again with a traveling rug. Then, as he cleaned the house and locked up after himself, his darkness fell. He drove to the nearest bridge over a railway. the same method as before. And when it was over, the murderer drove back to his lover in Brighton. But when he arrived, she had grim news for him. George, tell me you didn't do it. What? What, what are you talking about? Your mum and dad. Ah, you're mad. You don't know what you're saying. Come into the other room, quickly. Brenda. What do you know about my mother and father? Now, tell me. So you did do it? No. I know you did it. Why? How could you? Brenda. Don't touch me. Mr. Dalton, is it? Yeah? What do you want? I'm sorry to have to tell you that your mother and father were found dead an hour ago. I didn't do it. What exactly do you mean by that? How how dreadful. I, I don't believe it. You know how they died? Of course I don't. How could I? Well, that's what I was wondering. Could you give me an account of your movements today? Uh, yeah. I spent the day here with, with my fiance. You haven't used the car outside. Oh, we drove to New Haven. That's eight and three quarter miles. Seventeen and a half there and back. You haven't been anywhere else? No. The car's been here all the time? Yes. According to the garage people, you had the car serviced this morning. Yeah? The speedometer reading then, according to the service card, was 15,001. You've put on over a hundred miles since then. I've just checked the clock in my wheel. The girl knows I've been with her all day. Oh, George, what's the good of you lying? The speedometer's in order. That can't lie. I'm afraid that in the circumstances, it's my duty to charge you with the murder of... Stop him! Let me go! So George Dalton was arrested and charged with the murder of his parents within an hour of their bodies being discovered on a railway line 50 miles away. In due course, he was convicted. And at 8 o'clock on a cold, misty morning, he mounted the steps of the scaffold. And he told you, Inspector, he hadn't been on a long journey. He'd forgotten the speedometer reading on the service card. They all overlooked something. And that is why the service card has earned its place here in the Black Museum.
Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment. You may be wondering how George Dalton was traced so quickly. When his parents' bodies were discovered, the police immediately went to the Dalton residence, expecting to find the son. Both the son and the car were, of course, missing. It was the work of a few minutes to trace the make and number of the vehicle, and the general alert was put out all over the country. Police officers visited garages, and the telltale service guard localized the search to the Brighton area, where Dalton's name was recognized in the hotel. The girlfriend was questioned while George Dalton was already being tailed by a police car into the hotel forecourt. At this stage, of course, there was no evidence against him, but the police allowed him to get into the hotel before questioning him. So they proved the theory that by giving a criminal just enough rope, he'll surely hang himself, which is what Dalton did with the aid of the buff-colored service card, which has earned its honored place here in the Black Museum. Now, until we meet next time in the same place, and I tell you another story about the Black Museum. And I think it's always obedient to you. And that's the Black Museum, the museum that you don't want to be an exhibit in. Keep that in mind. Now, if you're an old-time radio fan, I know you've heard these two guys before. Here they are. Now, here to act as your master of ceremonies is a comedian who's played so many army camps that his jokes are beginning to lay powdered eggs, Bob Hope. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bing. Why should Hope get all the laughs at the beginning of the show, Crosby? <laughs> Telling all you G.I.s. Oh, now, just a minute. Hold everything, Bing. I introduced Bob Hope. He's supposed to start the show. Oh, don't worry about older than me. I can do his monologue, and may I say, I can do it much better. Well, but Bing, what's a Bob Hope command performance without Bob Hope? Wonderful. Only wonderful. <laughs> I'd like to start a new trend. Well, as I was saying, this is Bing, Command Performance Crosby, telling all you guys, whether you're a private sergeant or loot, if you use flerium, you'll always have a pearly toot under your snoot. <laughs> How does he get by with this stuff? <laughs> Fellas, I just got back from the Marchfield Air Base. I saw a lot of rear gunners up there. You know what a rear gunner is. That's the fellow who gets the lead out of his tail. <laughs> they gave me a real flyer's welcome. They were all sitting around eating oranges, and when I came in, they strafed me with the pits. <laughs> Colonel, the Colonel was crazy about me, though. He... Hey, uh, say, Bing, that must be Bob. Well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The door's locked. Oh, no, no, I better let him in. So, there you are. I want to talk to you, no hair. <laughs> what do you want, no waistline? No. <laughs> What's the idea of locking me up in that room? 20, 20 minutes in there with nothing to do. Well, why don't you read the paper? I did, but how many times can you read? Rub, don't blot. <laughs> What a rat you are. Well, anyway, I'm here now, so let's get on with the show. Where were we? I just introduced you, Bob. Yeah, Bob, go on. Go ahead. Oh, kill him. Thank you. Thank you, Dad. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Command Performance Hope telling all you guys, whether you're a private sergeant or loot, use slurium, and you'll always have a pearly toot under your snoot. <laughs> I was... Oh, the... <laughs> the pity of it, really. What happened there? Some Japs walked through the balcony? <laughs> Keep punching, Bob. The audience isn't quite warmed up yet. Oh, Hit him. Right. I'll Knock get him. I'll get him. Well, well, fellas, I just got back from the Marchfield Air Base. I saw a lot of rear gunners there. You know what a rear gunner is. That's a fellow who gets the lead out of his tail. <laughs> Turn the mic on. Come on. The curtain up. Oh, yeah. Gee, I thought that'd get a bigger laugh. I'm sorry. It did. Can't understand my new material, do I? Can... You're not timing it right. You're not giving it the proper delivery. Is that yes, right? Yeah. Well, wait till you hear, up, up, fill, up. Wait till you hear the yuck I get on this one. Go ahead. When I got to camp, I got a real flyer's welcome. They were all sitting around eating oranges. When I walked in, they strafed me with a pit. <laughs> the pit. <laughs> I have one relative in the house. <laughs> 
I feel like a swine, a happy-go-lucky, well-fed swine. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. Something has been going on behind my back. Well, it's a sense nothing's been going on in front of it. I I just can't stand to see you. I can't stand to see you stand there and get slaughtered like that. It's gone far enough. I'll confess. Those jokes you told that just had the audience in the aisles on their way up to get you were all... Well, wait. What about those jokes? Well, while you were in your tiled Shangri-La, I told them first. (laughs) Now, isn't that a cute trick? I'll bet you went over great, huh, kid? Had a few buffs. Yeah, I'll bet it was the greatest performance since Barry Fitzgerald starred in Going My Way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Well, I'll get... I'll fix you. Next time I see Sinatra, I'll give him a transfusion. No, not that. But me... Meantime, I want to introduce a trio of young ladies. I can't understand it. Steal my car, my golf clubs, even steal a sheet of my Kleenex. But my jokes, boy, that's like taking the shortening bread out of Nelson Eddy's mouth. Bing Crosby and Bob Hope from Command Performance, 1944. Well, now it's time for a little sinister talk, a little scary talk, a little Raymond of Inner Sanctum. Here he is with Strands of Death. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soups present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. All waiting to go through the squeaking door. What a long line. But everybody's here tonight. The line reaches right to the edge of the grave. <laughs> Been waiting long. What? Seven days and seven nights? Dear, dear, you should have not. I can always slip the latch string out and you could hang around properly. <laughs> Why, Mr. Host, people don't need a latch string to do that. Didn't you know that all our listeners hang on your every word? Oh, yes, Mary. There's no better place than Inner Sanctum for people to get the news. Or the news. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we have some good news for our listeners right now. Folks, there's a new delight waiting for you when you try Lipton tea. Now, many of you may have been drinking tea for years, but until you taste Lipton's, you just don't know the full pleasure of tea at its delicious best. Lipton, you see, has brisk flavor. In fact, brisk is the very word that tea experts themselves use to describe Lipton's spirited, full-bodied flavor. Unlike ordinary dull-tasting teas, Lipton's is never flat, but always hearty and satisfying. Lipton tea gives you more contentment in every cup. So do try it soon. It's tea at its tastiest. Lipton tea, with that grand, brisk flavor. for tonight's story. It's an original radio play written especially for the Inner Sanctum by Hank Warner called Strands of Death and starring Santa Ortega in the role of Henry. Do you love your wife? Do you enjoy buying her a handsome fur piece, perfume, jewel, or nylon? Do you wonder secretly what you would do If the finery you bought her was used by her to win another man so that she could leave you? Oh, you can't answer, can you? Well, this is the story of one man who can. Meek, mild Henry Turner. I should have known at once. That morning in the office, when Judson was reading the newspaper aloud, that something was wrong... The unidentified body of a young woman strangled with a brand new pair of nylons was found last night. Unidentified? Yeah. In the hallway of a rooming house at 72 Beach Street. Unidentified? Near the body, which was fully clothed, police found a handbag containing a sales slip from the Silvertone Hosiery Company. Credible. Police had a loss to... Helen always carried identification, charge account, keys. Much to discover. And a second pair of nylons. But if it wasn't Helen... No, no. Of course. 
course it was Helen. Well, that's a pretty piece of news, eh, Turner? <laughs> By the way, you bought some nylons for your wife the other day, didn't you? So what's the matter? Are you sick? Was I sick? Johnson wanted to know. Wonder what his face would have looked like. But I told him right there that the police were wrong. That the body could be identified. And it was Helen. My wife. I went to the police. The body was at the morgue. Uh, this way, sir. Uh, here it is. Uh, steady. No. No. It's not Mrs. Turner. It's not Helen. I know how you feel. The shock of relief. But it wasn't relief. I walked from the morgue to our apartment. My brain was pounding with a question I hated to face. If it isn't your wife, who is it? If you didn't kill your wife, who did you kill? I didn't know. I didn't know. I got to the apartment. Weary, exhausted. Questions unanswered. My foot kicked a telegram that had been slipped under the door. I tore it open. It was from my wife. From Helen. The telegram was like a hand tearing the black curtain from my mind's eye. Could at last recall what had happened. What I had done. Why I had killed a strange woman. Thinking it was Helen. It swirled across my brain like a crazy picture. The night I came home after a hard day. Hello, baby. Hello. Gosh, I'm tired. Everything special for dinner? You could stand a good meal right now. What do you expect me to do? Slave over a hot stove for oh, you? Oh, Helen, please. I'm sorry. I'll enjoy whatever you've got. Maybe you will. But I'm sick of potato salad and cold cuts. Oh, well. That's all you ever say. Oh, well. Look, darling, I'm tired. Let's not argue. Please. After all, things could be worse. You get your permanence, new dresses all the time, shoes, hats. Why, you're the best-dressed woman in the crowd. I suppose you'd like me to wear a rag. Ah, that's where you're wrong, baby. You're a good looker and you need pretty clothes. And you can have all my money can buy. Happy? Let's have a kiss, huh? Oh, I guess you're good to me, Henry. Let's eat. Well, I was really upset about, I suppose, is that I haven't got a single pair of nylons to wear with a new dress I got today. New dress? Lovely, you like it. Black. I planned on wearing it tonight. It would look lovely with real sheer nylons. Tonight? Oh, I didn't tell you. Girls are having a bridge over at Margie's. I won't stay long. Do you mind, Henry? I'm not very hungry. I'll slip into the dress if you don't mind. Go right ahead. Mmm, Jada sounds very good tonight. My compliments, Mr. Schmidt, darling. Hey, that is stunning. Like it? And how? Yeah, you certainly should be wearing nylons with that dress. Yes, sirree. Oh, well. Oh, well, uh, would you mind, darling? I uh, bought a carton of cigarettes and my briefcase in the hall, please. Oh, yeah, I'd better take a pack with me. Oh, you beast, teasing me like this. Oh, they're lovely. Think nothing of it. Anytime you want nylons, just call on me. When? Where? Did you have much trouble? Ma'am, did you say trouble? Nothing at all. I just stood in line for three hours at the Silvertone shop. Of course, it rained for about two hours. But after all, nylons. Oh, Henry, you're wonderful. Oh, I'm crazy about them. I put them right on. Oh, Marge and the girls will eat their hearts out. Ah, uh, if you permit my saying so, ma'am. You sure have a pretty pair of legs. Uh -huh. uh, don't be late, will you? Darling, I'll be back as soon as I can. Bye. I sat around listening to the radio and reading the paper, waiting for Helen to come back. Hello? Oh, hello, Marge. Uh, didn't 
didn't she? Oh, uh, she went out about two hours ago. Why? I'll tell her. How's your bridge party? Bridge party? Well, that's tomorrow night. Be sure and remind her, please. I will, Marge. All right. Good night. Bridge party. Tomorrow night. Marge's. Try to sleep. I couldn't. I rolled around from side to side, thinking, thinking, wondering. It was no use. I got out of bed. I paced the floor. I didn't dare call Dottie's. Oh. Hello, darling. Helen. Where are you? When do you expect to get home? Oh, in a couple of days. Billy wants to take in some skiing. Oh? Hello, Henry? Henry, don't you hear me? <laughs> Must have hung up on me, Billy. How oh, I managed to get dressed and shaved. I don't recall. I don't know how long I walked the streets. My briefcase was in my hand. I must have plotted from one account to another because my sales book shows that I took orders for some of my firm's new carpeting that day. These things I don't recall at all. But the line. The nylon line. It's strange that I shouldn't remember getting on it. All I know is that Suddenly, I found myself part of it. How long I'd been on line, I don't recall. I told myself I had no business being on this line. I should have been out getting orders. But I felt chained to the line, waiting for the store to open. Finally, the line started moving. I asked for the same size and shade I bought for home. Then I saw her, leaving the store. I walked after her. Helen! Yes. Oh, I... I thought you were... Helen. Uh, yes, I... I hope you'll excuse me. Did you get some nylon? Yes. Sometimes I wonder whether it's worth the trouble just for one pair. So exhausting. I could stand a cocktail. Why are you looking at me like that? Where shall we have it, Helen? There you go again, Helen. You sure have Helen on your mind. Call me Louise. We had the cocktails. And then dinner. And I walked her home. In the hallway. This hall light seems to be out all the time. Well, it's been a lovely evening. You really need those nylons? I reached over to kiss her. She turned her head, swung her back to me. I put my arms around her waist, kissed her neck. What's Helen got that I haven't got? I got them for you, Helen. What shade? Rosy Dawn. How smooth and soft they are. <laughs> they look lovely against your pretty white skin. <laughs> Tickling my neck. What are you... Look lovely around your pretty white throat. I got them for you, Helen. Just for you. Bye, Helen. That's what happens in a dark hallway when a girl embarks on, um, shall we say, sheer 
folly. Oh, Mr. Host, to think there probably were people who would have helped Louise just inside that doorway. But they couldn't hear her, Mary. Nylon stockings aren't like chains. They don't rattle when they're wrapped around someone's throat. Well, at that hour of the night, folks aren't expecting murders on their doorsteps. The family was probably out in the kitchen having a last-minute snack before bedtime. Perhaps the radio was on, and they were all listening to the latest news headlines. Meanwhile, Mother would be fixing up a plate of sandwiches and brewing up a pot of Lipton tea. For Lipton tea would surely be part of the picture. Served with a late evening snack, it gives a happy ending to the day. And because it's so relaxing and enjoyable, a piping hot cup of Lipton's adds extra delight to any meal. Why waste time just thinking about it? Why not get a package of Lipton tea tomorrow and treat yourself to its mellow, full-bodied flavor? Remember, Lipton's gives you brisk flavor. wonder whether Henry's realized his sheer recklessness. (laughs) Pretty thin, isn't it? Poor fellow has just strangled the weed. A nylon-collie baby, if ever there was one. Under the impression he was killing his wife, Helen. Let's see what else he has to say about the telegram he just got from his dear, dear wife. Telegram I held in my shaking hands convinced me of the horrible truth. It wasn't Helen I had murdered. The telegram was dated the very night in which I had strangled the unidentified woman. Please don't be too angry with me. It is for the best. I've decided to marry Billy as soon as we can get divorced. I'll be home in a couple of days to pick up my clothes. Please don't be too unhappy. (laughs) Please don't be too unhappy. I wasn't. I was beyond that. I would never be unhappy again. Or happy. I felt only one desire. Kill Helen. I passed the nylon line again. Next day, walked by it. I was drawn back to it. I joined the line. I didn't move fast enough. I felt a slight bump from behind. I, I turned. I'm sorry. Helen. You must be mistaken. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we got in just in time. They're closing. Sold out. Wish my husband would stand in line. Oh, dear. It's starting to rain. Can I drop you off? My car's around the corner. drove a bit into the country. She was nice. Just bored. We pulled into a side road. Is out of town so much? My arm was around her shoulder. She snuggled against me. The same heady perfume. Helen's perfume. My free hand reached for the bag with the nylons. Thanks, dear. They hung around her like a necklace. I put up both ends and twist it. <laughs> I knew sooner or later they'd get me. But I couldn't help it. All I knew was that I had to kill Helen. I knew I would have to kill anyone who reminded me of Helen. Until... Until Helen herself was home. Yes, Commissioner, we've got all the men out. Yes, I'm assigning Keating to it. I'll keep you informed. Goodbye. Uh, Keating. Yes, Inspector? Come in, please. Commissioner, on you again? Uh, We've got to do something and do it fast. City's going crazy. It's only an idea, but it may work. Now, you know the details. Both women wore the same size stockings, same shade. Both used the same perfume, same size clothes. Both pretty, same color hair. Eyes, uh, yours. Uh... Want me to dye my hair? Right. 
Now, those nylons, both pairs and the extra pairs found on the women came from the Silvertone shop on Madison Avenue. What about a fur coat? Now, take your pick of the two with the property clerk. He may lay low for a while, with a panic on. Yeah, we'll have to take our chances on that. But if this is the work of a madman, and it looks like it, he'll try it again. Now, drop everything. We'll arrange to have you hang around the counter. The shade is Rosy Dawn, size nine and a half, fifty-one gauge. Well, there'd be more than one man asking for that. It's the Vogue right now, you know. Yeah, we'll have to take our chances. Yes, Mister, what's yours? Make up your mind, Mister. There's lots of people waiting. Oh, I, I, I beg your pardon. I, I was just looking over there. I, I thought I recognized someone. Size and shade, please. Uh, Rosie Dawn, nine and a half, 51 gauge. They're down there. I'll get them. Rosie Dawn, nine and a... Rosie Dawn, nine and a half, 51 gauge, Lieutenant Keating. Thank you. Uh, would you mind stepping up this way, ma'am? This is the last box. That gentleman wants a pair, too. Oh, not at all. Oh. oh, I beg your pardon. Helen. Oh, you must be mistaken. Oh, I'm sorry. You look so much like... How much, please? Dollar sixty-five I'm sorry to keep staring at you. You still think I'm Helen? Could be. Well? Care for a lift? I'm taking a cab to 51st and 3rd Avenue. I don't mind. I live down near 2nd. Stop, driver. I thought you said... Never mind. What are you looking at? That cab in front of the house. Woman getting out. My wife, Helen... Must be coming for her clothes with those bags. Hey, Mark, Abby, keep the change. I'll just sit here until she goes in. So, hubby wanted to play while wifey was away. Uh, what, what's that? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I need these nylons now for my wife. Oh, uh, uh, driver, take the lady down to Second Avenue. Uh, uh, then come back to me in about 15 minutes. What's the address, lady? I'll be getting out here, too, as soon as he goes into the building. Adoring Henry, your husband, scared you. Don't talk like that, Henry. I explained everything in my wire. You got it, didn't you? Your wire? Yes, my darling. Made everything clear. Very clear. The cold and the wind and the rain. Standing in line for hours and hours for nylons. My darling. Don't come near me. Stay away from me. Don't be alarmed, darling. I brought you some nylons. Look. Pretty? I really don't need them. I got plenty. <laughs> you won't need any more after these. Stop it! You won't need any more. I could hear trying to revive Helen. It was no use. But she'd come in too late. And she bent over me. Summoning what strength I had, I grabbed her leg, <gasps> tripped her. As I had hit the wall, the gun dropped. I grabbed it. Better not. Get up. Sit in that chair. You're the nylon murderer, aren't you? Yes. You're a detective. Pretty smart. What are you going to do? Strange. I wanted to kill you. When I saw you in the store, Miss, uh... Lieutenant Keating. Oh. Now oh, that Helen is gone, I... I feel at peace. I don't want to kill anyone. I know how you feel, Henry. I loved her. You believe that, don't you? Sure. She was no good. Get up. What for? Get up, I said. 
I'll walk over to that closet. Go on. Open the door. I'll turn around. Don't try anything or I'll have to shoot. Walk in. I'm sorry. So sorry. Miss Keating. Now, they can come and get you. Both of you. Keating. Keating, you all right? Nasty bump, Inspector. Did he get away? He, he was bleeding pretty badly. Well, the blood leads into the bedroom. What? A crazy fool. He's hanged himself. With nylons. Crazy? I wonder. Cut him down, Brady. Well, too late, Inspector. There's a note on the floor. Let's see it. Miss Keating will understand. Do you, Lieutenant? Yes, Inspector. I do. Wasn't that a wasteful cup? Imagine cutting poor Henry down. Ruined a perfectly good pair of nylon. He should have untied the knot. Well, one way or another, it goes to prove that when you've got a case of nylon, you've got your hands full. As for poor Henry, one way or another, he faces a long stretch. Well, there's one good thing about it, Mr. Host. With Henry dead, ladies can stand in nylon lines once again without being afraid. Yes, Mary, tomorrow is another and a happier day for the ladies. Oh, but it needn't be just for the ladies, Mr. Host. Tomorrow can be a red-letter day for their families, too. That is, if they remember to put Lipton tea on tomorrow's grocery order tonight. How about that, friend? Jot it down right now so you'll surely remember. You'll be doing yourself and your family a good turn. Because you'll all love Grand Lipton tea. Everybody does. Because Lipton's has such delightful, brisk flavor. Because it's so satisfying and, and zestful. Don't let another day go by without trying it, will you? Tomorrow, be sure it's Lipton tea you ask for and Lipton's you get. Because Lipton tea has that wonderful, brisk flavor. <laughs> Now, friends, before I bid you a fond farewell, I must tell you about the wife of a friend of mine who smokes nylon cigarettes. Yes, it burns her up. She has to roll her own, but she sure gets a run for her money. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is The Lying Lady by Robert Finnegan. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soups Bring you another Inner Sanctum story directed by Hyman Brown. Starring Victor Moore, the famous Hollywood and Broadway star. It's called Murders in the Moor. A scalp-raising, toe-tingling story about a little man and a big knife and girl. Lots of girls. But most of them will be no good to anybody because they end up dead. <laughs> Until next week, then, and our special star, Victor Moore... Good night. Pleasant dreams. For tomorrow's lunch, let's see now. Why not serve creamed salmon with peas? And lead off with a soup that's super. Wonderful Lipton's noodle soup. You've never tasted better fresh cooked chickeny goodness in your life than you get in homemade tasting Lipton's noodle soup. Now that I can promise you. It's easy to prepare, too, and costs less, yet makes lots more than ordinary canned soups. So why not get a supply tomorrow of Lipton's noodle soup? And tune in next week for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more old-time radio. I hope you can join us then. Till then, this is Jim Dolan thanking you for listening.